Hey, sports fans. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and today we have a very special guest on the show, none other than Marcus Ogden. For some of you football fans out there, that name might ring a bell. Marcus is the younger brother to Jonathan Ogden, one of the greatest offensive linemen in NFL history and current Hall of Famer. Marcus was also a very good football player in his own right. In 2003, he was drafted to the NFL as an offensive lineman, following in his brother's footsteps, and had a very successful career in football. However, at the ripe old age of 27, he decided to retire and take up an even more lucrative career in construction and developing. He created a company called Caden Premier Enterprises. The company had very fast growth and took off, and then unfortunately after about six years, Marcus ended up declaring bankruptcy. He lost almost $2 million in one deal in just a matter of about 90 days. Since that time, Marcus has gone on to write two excellent books, which we'll discuss today, has become a successful keynote speaker to both the NFL and many Fortune 500 companies. So in keeping with the theme for the Kaderna podcast of personal finance, business knowledge, and self-help, I think we wrap up all three of those very well in this unique individual. So please stay tuned. Not only is it inspiring, entertaining, enlightening, this is something that I think you're going to want to share with your friends. And for any parent out there, I think can certainly be helpful as you're raising kids and trying to get them to the next level. Uh, whether it be sports, academics, and so forth. So with no further ado, please welcome our guest, Marcus Ogden. So Marcus, welcome to the show. How you doing, Brian? Thanks for having me on. Good, good. Yeah, very happy to have you here today. So the first thing I got to ask, it was funny, when we first started talking and you know, I pulled you up, I noticed you were listed in the NFL at 6'6", 312. And then your brother, Jonathan, was listed at 6'9", 345. And I was like, what were you guys eating as kids? You know, Brian, we were raised by a single father. So everything that wasn't nailed down, we were eating. You know, back, this is back in the mid to late 80s. And my dad had about a $200 um, a week food bill in the house. So everything we could get our hands on that wasn't nailed down, we were definitely uh, eating on uh, throughout, our, throughout our childhood. <laughs> I can imagine. It shows. That's awesome. And did you guys, I mean, I guess you were pretty big kids, you know, did you know from the outset that, you know, you wanted to play sports and maybe someday go pro? You know, Brian, it was interesting. My brother was six foot nine in the eighth grade. So uh, we kind of knew from him right out of the break where it was going to be. I was six foot three when I left high school and I got to six foot six. I grew three inches between my last year of high school and my first year of college. And I went to Howard. So I was really not looking to be an NFL player. I mean, this wasn't my, you know, was looking to do that. I mean, I would have been nice, but I was more trying to become an investment banker. So for me, football became very uh, obvious that I could potentially do it as a career right before my last year of college when scouts started coming out and looking at me and watching me in practice and in my games. And then that's when my brother Jonathan said, hey, man, you're on some draft boards here. So you need to get serious and give it your all for one year and see what happens. Wow. So it sounds like the NFL, that kind of came as like a surprise to you? Yeah, it really did. I mean, after high school, I had one offer to college for Howard State. But, you know, Brian, it wasn't like I had a whole bunch of offers like my brother or other things like that. So for me, it was not really like, hey, you're going to be this great football player. It kind of just evolved for me 
right after, like I said, my last year, well, right before my, my senior year, after my junior year, it became obvious I had the talent to do so if I worked hard. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's pretty cool. And then when you were at Howard, you were, you said you were majoring in finance? Correct. What pushed you to pursue that major? My father was an investment. Uh, well, my father worked in a company called the Federal Home Loans Bank uh, up in the, up New York in their D.C. office. So he was working like in their stocks and bonds rooms. Uh, you know, he was like their, one of their uh, managers. So I learned a lot about that from him. So he was a uh, an economics major in college, and he also went to Howard. So that for me okay. really got me saying, "Hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to pursue." And I got a job working at Merrill Lynch in college as an intern, and I liked it. And that's kind of what I saw myself doing after I left college. Gotcha, gotcha. And then the NFL came knocking, and and I guess the rest was history from there. From football, yeah, I was I was yeah. came knocking. I had a chance to go to the Hula Bowl and play against some great talent from schools like Florida State, Texas, Rice. Uh, Miami. Uh, my head coach was actually the, the uh, current head coach of, of Chapel, North Carolina Chapel Hill, Matt Brown, who at the yep. time was the head coach of Texas. So, you know, I really had a chance to be around some great athletes, test my skills. I had a really good showing in the Hula Bowl, and uh, that really helped propel me uh, to becoming drafted uh, coming out of college. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. So that's kind of a unique story. So like, I mean, your brother, obviously, it sounds like he was kind of like the, the hot shot that everybody knew was, was going to make it. But then you kind of took like a different path through high school and, uh, you know, not, um, not as noticeable until that last year of college. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it is. And for me, I tell people all the time that you just because you start somewhere doesn't mean you can't go somewhere else. And that was really my football journey. I started in high school, played, you know, I didn't go to varsity so I was a junior. Uh, my brother was on varsity as a freshman, you know, all this type of stuff. Wow. And I didn't go D1. I went 1AA. But still, I ended up in the National Football League and had a nice career, made lots of great friends. And this is why I tell kids all the time, just because you're not having the best, you know, career right now doesn't mean you can't blossom later on if you're willing to work and do the best you can to actually give effort and get better. Sure. No, I like that. That's very well said. And then when you went to the NFL, you had five years there. It sounds like you bounced around a little bit. So, I mean, were you kind of like what they call like a journeyman in the NFL going from team to team or what was that like? So really what happened to me is, is that playing in the, in the NFL, it's like every time I was on a team, my coach would get fired or like I was in uh, Jack, <laughs> Jack, Jack, Jacksonville. And then we had a switch of coaches and I got to Baltimore, had a really good, I was doing really good there at Baltimore, no issues. And then my old line coach, I uh, wanted to get the OC job and they told him no. So he leaves and they brought in another guy who uh, actually is um, coach Furster, who was the guy that got caught down in Miami with everything going on with him, like all the drugs and stuff like that. He was my line coach in a, uh, Baltimore and nice guy and I didn't have a problem with him but him and my brother sometimes didn't see eye to eye so that didn't work out for me and I went to Buffalo and things were great I mean everything was phenomenal uh, you know I, Malarkey loved me and Tom Donahoe but what happened they get fired Donahoe gets yeah. fired Malarkey gets fired and everything so I had so in the NFL took it all the time I was a very good player but when a lot of times when you're on a team and 
and coaches kind of, you know, get replaced. That's what the teams do. Unless you're like a star, you know, unless like the quarterback, something like that. Linemen, you know, guys who are good, but sometimes there's not going to be what the coach might want or try to go yeah. different direction. They it is they did that. So that's what happened to me in my career. So I mean I'm very honest about it and I tell people all the time, like, hey, it's the same thing you have to do sometimes, you know, in a job situation, right? You could be somewhere and the next thing you know, your boss gets fired, you know, you you have to be prepared and adjust and things like that. So yeah. that's why I do a lot of talking on the sometimes about transition. Transition is not just have to learn how to deal with it. So that was some things that I had, you know, I was young, I didn't understand how to really, you know, have those yeah, conversations. That's tough. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's I'm, interesting I'm, yeah, that, like, it's you, you think the NFL, like, such a huge organization at the pinnacle that even then it sounds like, you know, politics could even play a, a little bit of a role there from team to team. Sure. Yeah, politics is in everything in life. Everything from, from you know, corporate America to sports to, uh, to everything that you do. So the way you have to position yourself is you have to understand that even if this is politics, do the best you can to be prepared to transition if times are necessary. I think uh, we've all been there. We've all felt that to some extent. And so now when you went to the NFL, I don't know a ton about what it was like growing up for you, but obviously now you're kind of exposed to, like I said, just an elite organization where everybody's very well paid. What was that like going from, I guess, just a, a normal college kid to now all of a sudden, you know, you're making awesome money and kind of in the limelight here in the NFL. Like, how did you handle that transition? For me, Brian, it was not too difficult because my brother had gone through it. So I was able to speak with him and I was able to ask him the same team with him during my career. And I learned about how to be a professional and how to always work hard and be dedicated and how to save money. So that was good for me. I did see a lot of guys who I played with who I, you know, who I was friends with, who didn't have that same education, and they would struggle with finance. They would struggle with, you know, the the limelight, or they would struggle with, you know, going out and, and every girl knew who you were because you were on the team. Uh, because again, there's only 53. Well, if you count the practice squad, 61 players in that city that play football. So yeah, at, a, at a at a professional level. So mm-hmm. again, it's just, it's just a lot to deal with. But for me, I was very fortunate I had my brother to educate me on the process, you know, ahead of time. So, like, when you got that first paycheck, that didn't just go straight towards, like, a new Ferrari or something? No, no. I got my big sign. I got my signing bonus, and I got my paycheck. I had uh, an account. I actually paid back my agent, who I owed money to, for training. I then I had an apartment. And then at the end of my rookie year, I bought a house because, you know, that time, Jacksonville was a great market to buy, and I actually had I made pretty good money on my house. That's why I still have for a couple of years. But no, I okay. put money into a, a investment account, bank account. Like I was not hanging hey, near Ferrari or a Jack. I wasn't that guy. Good for you. I mean, that's what I'm. I'm always trying to coach my clients. Is like even when we start to come into that good money, if we can just kind of delay a little bit, you know, delay that gratification just a year or two, and, and bank more money, um, you know, I think that's always going to reap rewards down the road. So that that was certainly smart. And now fast forward and through the NFL, I guess you were about 27 years old when you uh, decided to kind of move on. And then it sounds like you quickly opened up this construction company. Yeah, I opened a construction company about six months after I retired, uh, after feeling sorry for myself and getting addicted to alcohol and nightlife and painkillers because 
I have been playing football since I was basically 14, uh, 13, 14 years old. Now I'm 27. So for basically the last 13, 14 years of my life, football was not a part of my life anymore. And I actually wow. ended up playing some arena, arena ball and stuff like that just to have fun and kind of, you know, still, I still wanted to have that teammate camaraderie feeling. Again, that's what I feel most guys will tell you they miss about the National Football League. Do they miss the money? Sure. Everybody loves getting paid big checks. Absolutely. But you miss the guys that you played with. You miss the locker room atmosphere. You miss that camaraderie. You miss that, you know, if you had a bad day at home or a bad evening, you come in, talk to the guys, and, you know, sit around the locker room with the nice plush chairs and just conversate and kind of, you know, try to help you push through some difficult times. And that's what a lot of guys miss that I especially know as you leave the game. Yeah, I, b- I believe it. You know, I've I've heard that story before. And even with some friends of mine that have been like in the service, they always say, you know, when you come back that just what you said, that seems to be one of the hardest adjustments to go from having, you know, your boys or your crew that are always there for you to now you're kind of in a totally different life, almost like a life in a shoebox. And, and uh, you know, I, I get that. That's got to be a heck of an adjustment to kind of walk oh, into t- corporate America. It, it's tough, man, because you're just and again, this is why so many guys want to go coach or they want to I try to get into like, you know, sports cast because they just want to keep having that feeling. They want to have that camaraderie. So I totally understand when guys do that because it's a, it's a natural progression to want to move into. So when you got right out of the NFL, I mean, were you, again, maybe, I don't know if your brother was out of the league yet or not, but did you have kind of a, a role model for what to do now, or was that, were you in like a tough point at that spot? No, I was in a tough point because when I left the game, my brother was, my, when I retired in 08, my brother had one more year. So he played, he retired at the end of 08. So he was still playing. So I didn't really have anyone. And then my father passed away suddenly uh, about two years before that. So it was wow. very hard for me to make that adjustment because I just didn't have anybody. Like, you know, normally I would have been able to go to my dad and like we could talk things out. Like if my dad was around, I can be very honest and say this, I would have never gone to construction because I didn't know it. But my brother was doing his thing and I didn't want to you know, be a bother to him. And I was trying to find ways to help, you know, uh, make money. And then I kind of, construction kind of fell right into my lap. Yeah, because you you had mentioned to me that the um, the NFL, I guess, had a program geared towards like project development and construction, which I found pretty surprising. I don't like why did they create, I guess, a, a program in that field? There were a lot of guys, you know, former players getting into that. Yeah, a lot. Oh, absolutely, uh, uh, um, Brian. A lot of guys like real estate development because again, what what does real estate development give you the opportunity to do if you can build? Big check syndrome, ownership, mm-hmm. property, assets. So yes, a lot of players were in the position of getting into, uh, you know, the field of real estate construction development because of the big check syndrome, and that's honestly why I got into it after hearing about and seeing some of the guys and people that I knew in Baltimore that were doing very well. Again, it's easy to see what people are doing when when, you, when they're doing well, but you don't very see very often when they're struggling. Yeah, exactly. I like that big check syndrome. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people with that. And so now when you come out, I guess it was about six months, you, you start this construction company. 
um, it looks like you got off to a, a pretty fast start. So how did you know? How did you do that? Were you leaning on your network from the NFL, or where did you go to, to kind of generate all that business? Well, actually, what happened was I went to an event in downtown Baltimore that was being put on by Congressman Elijah Cummings at Oregon State, and I was able to meet some people. My, one of my first big clients was a, big, a company called Mannequin. Great company, great guys, and their VP and one of their owners were big sports fans. So, of course, they knew me from playing for the Ravens, so I was able to leverage that to my first job, and that's really what I did, Right, I was very good at the marketing side of the business, getting people to like us, know about us. I went to a lot of networking events, and I was a minority contractor, so there was tons of opportunity because the city and the state was making sure that minorities were getting on jobs and getting taken care of because they wanted to be sure that they were getting an opportunity to do, to do business. Okay. Interesting. So that's pretty cool. And and then I guess this just ramped up pretty quickly. And um, I mean, was your goal there just to make the biggest development company that you possibly could? I go all day. And that's what led to my demise. I grew too quickly. I tell people all the time when I speak to entrepreneurs, growing, controlled, good growth, awesome. Growing rapidly, too fast can cause catastrophe all day. And that's wow. what happened to me. Is I, I, I got into a business that you need to have heavy, heavy cash, which I did, but I got into a, onto a project where all that heavy cash was spent on rectifying an issue. When I got time to go get paid back my change order, it was denied. And that is how I had to close my business. And I had to file a chapter seven bankruptcy. Wow. So what exactly, what led to that? I mean, was that just like one big deal that blew up or was this kind of like a slow work in progress where things started to go south for you? Well, things went south for me uh, as I got very arrogant, uh, very complacent, Mr. Know-it-all, and a lot of my best employees started leaving in the summer of 2012. But it really came to a huge, to a much expedited, you know, process between I'll say like between August and September of 2012 to about December when I spent close to $3 million in that time frame because I was doing, I was paying out our, um, you know, all of our stuff, like our, our employees, our salaries, you know, I was paying out different things as far as the materials needed, trucks, all this stuff, stuff, yeah. all that stuff was getting paid out. And by the, so basically by December of that year, 2012, I looked in the bank account, it was pretty much like, you know, like, what, $3,000 left. That was it. My line was tapped out. And then we, I remember it was like right around the Christmas time, which we were hoping that the bank would extend our line from 1.5 or from 1 million to 1.5 or 2 to carry us, and they denied it. And so basically that Christmas when I went with my fiance, well, my fiance and my wife down mm -hmm. for that, I knew when I got back home that unless one of we were going to get bought out by somebody who was close to doing it because they saw the big picture, but we didn't tell them something that we should have, or my partner didn't, I wanted to, but he didn't want to, and that doesn't really make a difference. And they pulled out the deal that middle of January, and then after that, I knew it was over. And so basically February, we started getting things in line, and then by March, basically, I knew we were done, and then April 15th of 2013, I had left 
kind of like the old uh, Browns left, uh, uh, you know, left in the yep. middle of the night. I left and I got <laughs> in the car and I drove down to Carolina to, you know, to because I knew if I stayed in Baltimore, Brian, it would just be too much to deal with. Yeah. Wow. That's 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 quite a story. That's unbelievable. And it's crazy. I mean, that's the same thing, I guess, with every business. It's, it's all about that cash flow. And once you have that shortage in any month, that's where, you know, things can start to unravel. So oh, would you say, absolutely. You know, were you, were, did you feel like at that point that you were being, you know, any financially irresponsible or this was just kind of a factor of the business, you know, maybe not having the business savvy to do what you had to do? Well, no, uh, I wasn't spending money irresponsibly because it was all going to the business. But what I did do irresponsibly was trust a client on a handshake deal that I shouldn't have. And that was my big mistake is I should have sat down no matter how much they were rushing me, pushing me. I should have sat my butt down and got signed change orders for all that work. But I didn't do it because I trusted them. And that was my irresponsible mistake. Wow. That's what I, and that's what happened to me. And then did you want to, like when you, you got out of Baltimore, understandably, like were you looking to just kind of restart in, in a new location or you were just had enough and you were out of that, that line of work? Well, no, because, no, I, I knew I wanted out of construction because I just, I didn't want to, di construction was never my passion. I just did it to make money. And yeah. when we moved to Raleigh, the Raleigh area, my wife's family was here. So that was why we chose this location. But when I got here, the NFL was in, in helping me because they knew what was going on because I told them everything. They helped me get a job with Merrill Lynch, and that's when I ended up getting a position at Merrill Lynch in Durham when I first got down here. But the problem was I missed the pay cycle, and by the time I got down here with moving and everything else that took me to get from Baltimore to Carolina, we had like $500 in the bank, and I was about a week away from being homeless because I didn't have a plan to pay next month's rent. And like the lease said, if you don't pay rent within the first six months on time, that they could, I mean, they could throw you out within 24 hours, you know, no, without, without any recourse, they can get the sheriff to do that. And I had to sign that because we had no other options. Like we had no money, we had no credit. Jeez. I mean, everything I had, Brian, was gone. My house was taken from us, the cars were taken from us. Everything that I had worked for my whole life, football-wise, business-wise, was taken from me and gone uh, within 90 days. And that's where, you know, when I got here, I was about a week away from being homeless because I knew I couldn't afford the rent for May of 2013. And how old were you at this point? Uh, 2013, I was 32. Wow, that's, that's crazy to think, you know, in, in just a decade, how much occurred there. Um, you know, oh, to, yeah be in the NFL and then, you know, have this rock star business and then you're on the brink of being homeless. So yep. what do you, I mean, what do you do at, at that point? I know that you mentioned it in your book, you know, that you had some kind of dark periods. Was that right after the NFL, you know, when you started, you know, having a little too much alcohol and stuff, or was that at, at this point, was there any kind of sense of depression or like, tell me emotionally, like what was going on there? Oh yeah. After the NFL was depression. Because I had I had lost, you know, I wasn't going to be able to play football anymore. But then yeah. the real, like, clinical, big, deep depression of failure and anxiety and being broke. After the NFL, when I left the NFL, I wasn't broke. So I was just in a state of just, like, depressed because I knew that football was, was over. But yeah. 
I, I had money. When I lost Caden, it was depression, anxiety, fear, et cetera, et cetera, because I lost my business. Football yep. was not an option, and I had no money. Wow, that's crazy. And yeah, Caden, the construction company that we were just talking about. Correct. Yep, that's yep. correct. And then you also mentioned you started getting into a little bit of gambling as well. Like, it, it, how did, was that back when you had the money from the the playing days? Yes. Or is, okay, yes. gotcha. So, yeah, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That rush, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that was there was no gambling after there was no gambling after uh after uh the business was, was gone. <laughs> yeah, there was no money yeah, to gamble. The, yep. Yeah, the gambling was after the NFL when I had money and time on my hands and I was not used to not having a job to go to. So I mean those are two monster transitions. It's like you retired at 27 and then have another career and then that goes bankrupt at 32. So now, was there a like a uh, like a pivotal moment that that kind of got you? I mean, I don't want to say out of the gutter, but from being down and out like you were there. Yeah, well, the pivotal moment for me was, you know, I took a job when I got down here. I was working for Merrill Lynch for a little for a couple months, and I got fired because I was not doing what I needed to do on my practice test, and I couldn't focus because I just had a lot of things going on. So I don't blame it at all. That's totally my fault. Got a job the next day with a construction business. Was fired five days later. So I was fired two times oh, in a week. And so I started coaching football to the youth. And then I I picked up a job as a janitor, making eight dollars and twenty five cents an hour on the graveyard shift. Went from ten p.m. to like pretty much four or five four p ten p.m. to about four or five a.m. And my pivotal moment was when I was a, I was a janitor and I was taking someone's trash out. And the trash ripped, and it got on my bare skin. I tell people all the time, being a janitor, I respect. I mean, I, I respected that. I mean, I was. I did. I did not beat myself up for that because being a janitor, it's an honest lips. Like people are doing things to take care of their family, and I respect and I support that. So anyone that does that gets my respect. So that wasn't my low point. Like I was glad to have a job. The sure. low point was that trash getting on me, and then we just realizing. I'm sitting here and I have people's trash on my head. And if I don't wake up and start blaming everybody else for Caden's failure and saying it was my business partner's fault, the contractor's fault, if I don't stop blaming other people, the rest of my life will be spent right here, always blaming somebody else. And that's when I turn my life around. Wow. I believe it. And it's funny not to digress too much, but when I was in college, I was bouncing at a club here in Jersey. And at the end of the night, once we closed everything down, all the bouncers had to take out all the trash. And we used to call it garbage juice because there was so much, you know, the, the booze in every trash bag that as we're dragging that out towards the dumpsters, it's like leaking all over us. And it was it was disgusting. And it, and it was true. Mm -hmm. You kind of think about it in those moments like, all right, I know I'm doing this right now, but I've got to find something, some some way to to kind of move on to the next phase. Right, and that and that's what it was for me because I had been in the NFL, I had run businesses, I had made money, I had done notable things in my life. How did I end up here? Well, how, I knew yeah. I ended up here because I stopped being accountable for my actions, and when I started blaming other people for my failures, that's when my life ended up in a bad place. So now you was it at this point that you reach out through the the Gene Upshaw program and and start to get into you know doing some speaking and coaching and things of that nature. Or 
what no, led you from kind of janitor to here? So honestly, I came home that morning and I wrote down my goals and I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing speaking to help athletes not make the same mistakes that I did. And then I started there and then it just, it just grew and grew. And I, you know, it took me two and a half years to get my first paid job. But once I got it, I was able to learn how to leverage into more jobs. And then I went from being a motivational speaker to an inspirational speaker. And an inspirational speaker to being an inspirational speaker who could give action steps and real knowledge and real uh, value propositions that people could write down and could put into their own life. And then that's when I started to get booked a a lot more consistently. Got it. And then tell us a little bit about your book, because I guess it was around this time you wrote your first book, which was Sleepless Nights. Mm-hmm. What, yep. what was kind of the genesis of that? How did that all come about? That book actually came about because, you know, during the time I was going through everything, uh, that was 2014 when I started the book, I still was trying to figure everything out. I was still trying to speak and code. I didn't. I, I was no way in any good financial shape or mental shape, but I was trying to get my thoughts out on paper, and we had a publishing company that we met through LinkedIn that approached us, and then we um, were going to write the book. And really what that book was about was just to show people about my life because I wasn't getting anywhere as far as paid jobs. So I was hoping that by doing that, I could start to leverage the book for paid opportunities, and that's kind of what happened. But it took, it took a few months before I actually, you know, got paid on a paid job, but that book came out October of 2015. I didn't get my first paid job until April of 2016. Okay. Did you find, out of curiosity, did you find it actually writing and composing that whole book, did you find that like therapeutic at all? Uh, it, somewhat. Talking it out, yes. It helped a lot. I helped out a lot to talk things out and realize why I made mistakes. And what it really made me do is realize that, you know, everything in life falls back to how do you handle it? You know what I mean? If you make a mistake and you do something incorrect, how do you handle it? And that's kind of what I had to learn uh, you know, through the whole process of you know, my first book coming out is, yeah, I made some mistakes and you can't blame other people for what you did wrong. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a great message right there. That's pretty cool. And then you end up transitioning into the next book, which I guess was going more from what you wrote. And, and the reason I ask you about kind of it feeling therapeutic is I almost noticed that too, like as you, you put words down on paper, it's like you find out more about yourself. And I, even when I wrote my book, there were several times where I kind of had to take a moment and take a pause and, and it, it just kind of like uh, reveals everything that you are inside. So I always thought that was kind of unique. But then you transition over into another book, The Success Cycle. And, and that sounds uh-huh. to be more of kind of the, the game plan of how to go from A to B. And what are, what are some of, kind of the you know, key things there, I guess? If somebody you know, in, in a quick minute wants to know, hey, what's that all about? What would you say? I would say that this book talks about three main things you need to have to be successful. Number one is ambition. What do you want out of life? What goals? What vision? What is your ambition? Drive. Drive's about the inner force you need to have to achieve success. 
which talks about, you know, making sure that you know where you are and have the inner force to get to where you want to be when people tell you you're crazy, you're making a mistake. And then hard work. Focus on you, not the competition. So many people, Brian, want to say, well, they're doing this and they're doing that. Well, that's great. That's them. Focus on you. Don't worry about the competition. So the success cycle talks about these three things in that order. Define your ambition, identify and find your drive, and be ready to work your butt off and not focus on the competition. Focus on what you can, contr you can control. Got it. Got it. And now what would you say to like a former athlete that says, hey, Marcus, I, I got the drive. You know, I was playing at, at the highest level of competition. I know how to work hard. That's what got me here. But what if they have that feeling going back to step one of ambition of I don't know what to do. I don't know what I want to do now. Like, I feel like I lost my first love of that sport or whatever it may have been. Where do they where do they find that? Do you ever run into that? Sure. And I tell them all the time, go back to the beginning. What do you enjoy? If you love football that much, get into coaching. Do you like technology? Do you like art? Do you like music? Whatever you like, start there. And then build. Like for me, I enjoyed speaking. I just didn't know how to create a business out of it. So now yeah. I, what I do is I call it the Tony Robbins model. I love his work. Is I built my brand off of speaking. I now have coaching. I now have consulting. I now have a book. I have two books. I now do appearances. I'm a brand ambassador. I own equity in several different businesses where I've leveraged my ability as a speaker to help get you know, more exposure. So I tell athletes, and I work with a ton of athletes as a coach, guys, go back to the beginning and start there. Yeah. Yeah. Take it all the way back to basics. Interesting. Correct. That's that's pretty cool. And then speaking of coaching, I know you do a lot of business coaching, obviously, but do you actually mm -hmm. coach anymore with like the youth or with football? Yeah, I do football coaching on the weekend. I coach uh, here in uh, Raleigh uh, on, a, on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, uh, two hours a week, uh, working with kids. Some of them are, you know, guys who I've been working with since their freshman year, now getting ready to go into their junior, senior year of high school. I have kids that are in college. I have a couple of kids I work with that are in the National Football League. Uh, so yeah, I, I still do coach, uh, and I love it and I enjoy it. And I'm all about giving the, the knowledge because what these young athletes need, I don't care if you're a professional player or you are a high school, player, you're still young. You need that guidance because here's what happens when you, when you start making mistakes and things and things happen and you're having trouble, everybody wants to beat you down. Sure. And now it's good to have them have someone who has the ability, right, to help them understand that, hey, man, I don't want anything from you. I'm just trying to help you get from A to B, and this sure. is how you should go about it. That's it. How do you how do you feel out of curiosity with, like, the, you know, all this stuff you hear, anytime you hear NFL, it's, like, synonymous with concussions and everything else. Like, what do you think of kids getting involved? Do you have any hesitation about that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, I only get worried if kids are not being properly coached. If you're getting okay. properly coached, I think the game is great. But, again, is there a risk in football? Sure there is. But there's risk in walking down the street. So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Risk, it's risk in you getting on the airplane. I mean, everything, there's risk. So you have to just assess the risk. And I tell you all the time, if you're being coached properly, then the risk is mitigated. So I just want kids who are playing to be properly coached so they don't run into these issues where their head's down or they don't know what, how to tackle somebody, you know, 
all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, and they're just running around like madmen, you know, getting hurt. Got it. Right. That, that's a good point. So one last thing, too, that I want to touch on, because obviously this show, the Kaderna podcast, is kind of business, but also finance and personal finance. Is there anything you would tell, you know, young folks that are, you know, getting into athletics, even professional sports, money-wise, obviously they come into a lot of money quick, and you were pretty responsible, obviously. What would you tell these guys uh, to do with their money when they come into so much money for such a usually short period of time? Uh, I would tell guys that the money does not keep coming. Whatever you make, <laughs> live the bare minimum and put the rest away. Don't get into anything high risk. Uh, and if you do something that's high risk, consult your advisor, consult your team, have conversations, have dialogue. You don't need to put your if you already if you have a ten million if you if you got ten million dollars after taxes right if you could get take, let's say you pick up conservative five percent conservative five percent on your investments annual it's five hundred grand if you can't live off five hundred thousand dollars you know and you already own your house and you have everything you need then what is the problem what yeah. happens to guys and again like me I had good money coming out you know I I had good money coming out I got into a business that I didn't realize until I got too far deep into it, the real risk of it. Like, that's what I'm saying. If my father was alive, I would have never got into construction on that, on that realm. So yeah. this is why I tell people, when you make money, put it to the side, live like you have some sense, and then build your, your, your assets. So when you leave the game, you're not in a position where you have to go and do something you don't want to do because you've blown through your money. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think you see that a lot. I mean, obviously, professional athletes are a prime target for a lot of different, I wouldn't say scams, but a thousand different ideas out there. And that's you've heard so many stories of folks that, you know, they open up the restaurant or their bar or this or that. And before you know it, in a couple of years, you know, that's out of business and now they've lost so much of what they earned. So I think, yeah, and I know way too many guys that happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I, I'm almost like, you know, what? It, that that's that's unfortunate, but that's better than the total opposite side of the guys that just blow it all. I mean, the, like the True. Mike Tyson's True. of the world where three hundred million dollars just evaporated, you know, in a few years. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it, like, you know, he hits my axe. He buy him a, uh, he buy him a, um, uh, a Maserati or a Bentley. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And so lastly, I mean, this has been quite a, a roller coaster, and it sounds like the story is really on the right track now, which is awesome. But what in, what inspires you right now? I mean, are you are you a man of faith, or is there something that, that gets you up every single morning going, and what's kind of next on the agenda for Marcus Ogden? Uh, absolutely, I'm a man of faith. Uh, without faith, I wouldn't be here today, that's for sure. And what gets me going really is getting up every morning and creating value for my clients, either through speaking, coaching, consulting, uh, helping them raise capital for their real estate businesses that are, you know, that are good, sound structures or companies that I work with called Athlete Foundry, which I'm a brand ambassador for, which is trying to help kids who struggle with getting recruited, bringing recruiting to their front door. You know, I, that's all I'm about is every single day waking up and providing value to people that I interact with. That's what gets me up. That's what gets me excited. And that's why I've been very fortunate to grow a business where before I was worried about the transaction, whereas today I'm worried about the value that I bring to people and the transactions mm -hmm. will, will, will come. Definitely. Definitely. That's awesome. All right. So I know we're just about out of time here. So we're going to go into our quick lightning round. This will be just a few fast paced questions that we always have fun with for the last minute or two here. 
So if you don't mind, we could hop right into it. All right. Sure. All right. So here we go. What is your favorite book? Uh, Act Like a Success, Think Like a Success by Steve Harvey. Got it. And your hero growing up? My father. Who was the best coach you ever had? Oh, uh, uh, good, good Lord. Uh, Jack Del Rio. Jack Del Rio. Okay. And your favorite movie? Ooh, that's a that's a tough one, man. Uh, gee, uh, I would have to go with Scarface. Scarface, okay, that's a classic. Uh, and this is a good one for you. I mean, you used to be a three hundred pounder. Your favorite food? Chinese food. Chinese food, okay. Mm-hmm. How many hours do you sleep every night? Probably about maybe six. Okay. And who was the best defensive lineman or, or maybe the best pass rusher that you ever played against? Oh, God. Um, Kevin Williams from Minnesota. Kevin Williams. All right. Mm-hmm. And if you could have one quote or, or mantra that would define your life you carry around with you, what would it be? One is when, you know, you have to believe it before you can see it, which means that if you don't believe in your vision or what you're trying to do, you won't ever see it. So you have to believe it before you can see it. You have to believe it before you can see it. I like that. And who wins, Superman or Batman? Superman. Superman, okay. And last up, what was the favorite vacation or destination you've ever been to? Uh, My wife and I went to Cabo. Say that again? Cabo. Cabo, okay. Yeah, that's where Zeke Uh is always training now. Great training ground. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, yep, yep. Cabo was our spot. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show, Marcus. Do you have any parting words or anything else you'd like to say to our listeners? No, just remember this. It's in life. The only way you can achieve success, in my opinion, is the team around you. I don't care how good you are at your job. You can't do everything. So be sure to bring the right team around you and you can have the success you desire. And I'd like to just piggyback on that with a quote that I think really encapsulates a lot of what you've said today by sticking with the football theme, Roger Staubach. So a quarterback on one of my favorite teams, the Cowboys. And Roger Staubach, who also got into business and real estate and made way more money in real estate than he actually did as a Hall of Fame quarterback. And he famously said, way more. Roger Staubach said, it takes a lot of unspectacular preparation to have spectacular results in both football and business. I agree. Love that quote there. And I really want to thank you again, Marcus, for being on the show. This has been another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. And uh, thanks for taking some time for us this morning. No problem, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Brian. All righty. And all our listeners out there, please keep on tuning in, spreading the good word, and we'll be sure to see you next week. Take care.
The Caderna podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Brian Caderna does not provide tax or legal advice. Listeners should contact their own tax or legal advisors in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Caderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities products and services and advisory services are offered through PAS, a registered broker dealer and investment advisor, 973-244-4420. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is an indirect fully owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance LLC are not affiliates or subsidiaries of PAS or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance LLC, a general agency of the Guardian. PAS is a member of FINRA SIPC, California Insurance License Number OK04194.